Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts 8. Last time, let's review. It's been, it's been a little while. But we read about Philip's ministry in Samaria. If you remember, he came in contact with a certain magician named Simon. Remember? And this guy Simon apparently was very good at magic. And probably, possibly for sure, but probably helped by spiritual forces of evil. And everyone, we are told, paid attention to him because of his magic. And he was always doing things. And he was a stumbling block to the Samaritans. If you remember, they praised him, even said, He is the power of God. We're told in verse 11 of Acts 8, For a long time he had amazed them with magic. And we discussed this, and I think it's worth repeating. Mysterious signs and magic are no indicator of divine influence. It could be, but not necessarily. Right? When Jesus turns water into wine, God was with him. It was an indicator of divine influence, divine power. But this magician Simon, the things he was doing are forbidden by God. Right? Quote, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one... Who inquires of the dead? For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Deuteronomy 18. Very clear, right? And practically, I hope you don't go to fortune tellers. Please. I mean, can I speak to you with common sense? They're tricksters. And if they're not tricksters, then they're being influenced by spiritual forces of evil. Either way, you want to have no part with them. I know people who do it, they think it's fun. Oh, it's fun just to see. Don't do it. Simon and those who practice such things are not living according to God's ways, but according to evil. And it might be, seem super obvious to us, but almost every town has a fortune teller or multiple fortune teller shops. And they're not out of business. They are in business. And people go there and pay them. Well, after hearing the gospel through Philip, many, including Simon, believe the good news. They believe You know, this isn't their first encounter with the gospel, right? Jesus met the woman by the well in Samaria. And she went back and preached and said, You've got to come meet Jesus. He's special. He knew me even though we don't know each other. 
And so through Philip's ministry, many Samaritans are saved. They believe the news about the kingdom of God, and the text says that they are baptized. Simon, he seemed to be amazed by, you know, in a different way. Usually people are amazed by him, but he's amazed by what they're able to do, the healing that they do. And he seems to be more interested in what we find out in the end. He's really more interested in the signs and the ability to be able to do such things himself than he actually is with the saving power of the gospel. Well, if you remember, after this, when they hear about the salvation of the Samaritans, they send apostles from Jerusalem to go check it out. Because this is new. We know that Jews are being saved, but Samaritans are being saved? Do they have the same faith that we have? Go check it out. And they send Peter and John to go see what's going on. And they conclude that they are believers in the same way as the Jews. And they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit as full members of the kingdom of God. And then we see that when Simon saw this, they get the Spirit by you putting your hands on them. Give me this power too. And it proves right away, right? The apostles are not impressed with this request from Simon and basically tell him, you are not saved at all. You are going to hell and you need to repent. The fact that you want to give us money to have the power of the Holy Spirit, he had wrong intentions, right? But in fulfillment of Scripture... Prophecy, many Samaritans are believing the good news. Quote, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 1.8 So the ministry is working. Even in places where the Jews would have thought that to be unlikely. The Samaritans, they're not going to believe. But they did. Well, that brings us to today's text. We'll read verses 26 through 40. Well, let's read 25 just to summarize. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? 
And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Um, if you were reading King James, you might have thought, no, wait a second, what happened to verse 37, Bill? Where's 37? And the ESV has made a choice that, that this is likely not original. But the, if you're reading a version that has verse 37, it might say, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So the ESV has made a choice that they think that that, that 37 was added later. Um, either way, the contents of 37 are definitely true. Okay, let's go back to verse 26. We, what we read of is a divine appointment. And since we're on the subject of divine appointments, it's very interesting that we just sang two hymns about sheep and shepherds and sheep going astray, and the good shepherd, and lambs. And this morning in, in Bible study, we read about injustice that was done to Joseph. It's not just Philip that had a divine appointment, and not just the eunuch who had a divine appointment. We are in a divine appointment right now. But in, in the in the text, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Leave Samaria and go down to the south toward Jerusalem, toward Gaza. And we're not sure which angel spoke to him. It's not specified. Was it Michael? Was it Gabriel? We don't know. But the trip is definitely a spirit-led trip. Go down from Jerusalem. Rise, go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it might seem kind of just a little bit more background for the area. It says this is a desert place. But it's relevant. 27, and he rose and went. Listen, let this, don't let this pass by and, and just think, yeah, of course. Listen, God commands people to do things often, and they refuse to go. 
They hesitate to go. Remember, God sent Abram and sent angels to help Lot and told him to flee. And Lot, the text says, hesitated. Why did he hesitate? His whole life was there. He didn't want to leave. Philip is told, go to this area. He's not told why or what area exactly or what's going to happen there. And he goes. This is what people of faith do. When God calls, when God leads, you go. It's better to go into a dangerous situation at God's leading than it is to say in a, quote, safe situation against the will of God. How safe you think you are against the will of God. One time a man came into Chang's front yard and threatened him vehemently, pointing at him and told him, I'm going to kill you. And Chang said, if it's God's will, you will. And if it's not, you won't be able to do anything to me. And nothing happened to him. Verse 28, no, 27. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And he was in charge of all her treasure. So this Ethiopian had just come from Jerusalem where he went to worship. And this is not a small figure, right? He's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. Would that be a small amount or a large amount, right? He, she's the queen. We're talking a lot of resources that are in his charge. Um, likely a very, very large treasure chest. And probably he's not alone. The text doesn't tell us that, but how can he drive the chariot and read Isaiah out loud at the same time? Somebody else is driving the chariot. Possibly more than one other person traveled with him to Jerusalem. It's unlikely that a very important official is going to travel to a far country alone. He's going to have people with him. Um, so he's just come from Jerusalem, right? The end of 27, he was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So it seems that he was ready to believe the good news. God had been preparing him. And in accordance with this divine appointment, he's actually reading Isaiah 53. The first hymn we sang today, the scripture text on it was 53.6. But he's reading 53. I didn't pick the hymns, by the way, in case you thought I might be cheating, y'all. Um... Historians say in that time, we know explicitly because we are told that he's reading it out loud, but historians say that people in those days most of the time did read out loud if they read something. 
Um, so the Spirit, verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he's, he, he's running alongside the chariot. He hears the text of Scripture that he's reading out loud and asks him if he understands what he's reading. The Lord tells him, go join that chariot. Philip doesn't know him at all. But he goes. He obeys the Lord. And hearing the Ethiopian reading Isaiah, he asks him, do you understand the meaning of the passage? And the Ethiopian says, how can I? I don't know what all this stuff is about. I'm a learner. I'm trying to figure it out. And he asked Philip to join him that he might understand the passage. Verse 31. How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. And he was reading from Isaiah 53. Let's turn there. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53. This passage is often quoted in the New Testament. We'll just read the whole thing. Who has believed what he has heard from us? This is 53.1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities." 
Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Such a rich chapter. What a place for the Ethiopian to be reading as God sends by, by word of an angel one of his ministers of reconciliation to find him in the middle, literally the middle of nowhere. And he's reading from Isaiah. And Philip, right? Philip doesn't, still doesn't really know what's going on there. God tells him, go join the chariot. He hears him. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know the significance of the passage that you're reading right now? And the Ethiopian, you know, he said, how can I? Would you guide me? Come on into the chariot. Let's talk about it. I mean, just as he meets an evangelist who's, who's God's been using greatly all throughout Samaria for many towns and villages, many believed and were baptized, and God sends him here for one person. You might say, why would you leave Samaria? You're having so much success. Stay there. You're going to go all the way in the desert for one person? What's the opportunity cost of the people who you didn't preach to in Samaria while you were gone? Sometimes people think like this. But he obeyed God. It's a very providential passage. And the Ethiopian has a great question. Is the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? Is he the one whom all these bad things happened to? Was he killed unjustly? Or is he talking about somebody else? And if we go back to Acts 8... Should have kept my finger there. Verse 34. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip, opening his mouth and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along, well, let's stop at 35 for now. He's using the Old Testament scriptures to tell him the good news about Jesus. You remember when Jesus met his disciples on the road and he, the Bible says he opened their minds and he explained to them and showed them that all the Old Testament scriptures, they were about him all along. People just didn't know it. And the same with Isaiah 53. And the good news, especially from Isaiah 53, what's the subject of 53? The subject is somebody taking the punishment who's not guilty, but taking it on himself to, to help many. 
Right? He, Jesus, bore the sins of His people. He died. He took the wrath. He took the scorn. There was nothing about Him that's beautiful from appearance sake only that we would be drawn to Him. In fact, people despised Him because of the way He was crushed. In 1 Peter, this idea comes up. 1 Peter chapter 2, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Do you hear what he says? Be subject to people, not just the good ones, even the bad ones, the ones who are unjust. Be subject to them. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is what Philip preached to the Ethiopian, using Isaiah 53. Again, we are told in Romans chapter 5, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This idea that people have related to predestination is false. That God looked to see who would love Him and then He put them on the list. That's not what happened. While we were still sinners, He died for us. This is the Gospel. This is what Philip preached to the Ethiopian. And all the apostles preached. Jesus is the Lamb of God. By His blood we're saved. But without it, there's no salvation possible. 
There's no salvation possible. I mean, if you think about the nations that practice human sacrifice, isn't it appalling and shocking to us? But don't we believe in human sacrifice? We do. It's not appalling that God would sacrifice His own Son as the Lamb of God because God does what He wants and Jesus is worthy. These other human sacrifices, most of them, I'm sure, against their will were sacrificed. They're not worthy. And the gods that they sacrifice to are evil. Have you thought about that? Christianity is a religion of human beliefs and human sacrifice. It's interesting. And the truth. If Jesus is fully man, he was sacrificed for our sins. And that's the gospel. A lamb is not good enough. A bull is not good enough. A thousand bulls is not good enough. If you think about the time of atonement in Jerusalem, how much blood flowed on great times of celebration and worship in Israel. How many thousands of people were in Israel all offering sacrifices? The blood would run thick Still not enough. And I think its purpose is to show the people how bad it is. All this blood is still not enough. Next year we got to do it again and again and again and again. And it never lasts. But the gospel of Jesus, he died once for all. Our sins, which are bloody red, by His bloody red blood, they are made pure. They're erased. They're washed away. God remembers them no more. Paul can say, it's not me that sins anymore. It's sin that lives in me. The sin is gone. God remembers it no more. When He looks at us, He's he's righteously forgetful. He casts our sins as far away from Him as the East is from the West. Is that not good news? We remember them. Oh, that we would be like God as it relates to human relationships. That we would be divinely forgetful and not consider and keep track of wrongs. Well, he preaches to him. Verse 36, And as they are going along the road, they came to some water. Really? That's pretty rare, right? They're in a desert place. Providentially, he meets the eunuch who's providentially reading Isaiah 53 and at just the right time they come upon a pool of water in a desert place. This is all providentially driven. Hey, 
Water. What prevents me from being baptized? And you know, we are not told that Philip discussed baptism with him, but he obviously did. Right? I mean, they come upon water in the desert place at the right time for the eunuch to express his faith. And he must have told them that all who believe in Jesus should repent and be baptized. In that order. I think people sometimes think Baptists are square because we want to make sure it's in the right order. We're just trying to do what the scripture tells us to do. Repent and be baptized. Hear the word of God. Believe it in your heart. Be baptized after, not before. Verse 38 and 39, he is baptized. And Philip is carried away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Thank God. Thank God he saved him. And listen, would this eunuch have gone back home and shared his faith? What do you think? He had a lot of influence. Not that common that that high people were Christians. Right? Jesus said, or in the scriptures, not many wise or powerful or noble or influential are saved, but fools and poor people and orphans and widows and sickly people. But this man, I'm sure, went back and shared his faith in Ethiopia. And Philip is carried away on some other mission. I'm not sure what happened here exactly. Is that, is that a euphemism? He was carried away or was, did he disappear and then reappear somewhere else? I'm not, I'm not positive. I think most people say he did disappear. He was whisked away by the Spirit, but I I don't know. I mean, he definitely wasn't like Enoch, right, who was no more. He just never died. He just disappeared. Because we we are told in verse 40, Philip found himself at a different place and passed through and preached the gospel there. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but either way, the Spirit was leading the whole thing. He would never have been there in the first place. He would never have known where to find the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian would not have been reading that passage. They wouldn't have had the conversation. They wouldn't have come upon water at the right time. The whole thing, I believe, is one, to talk about how more people from outside of Jerusalem are being saved. But also... That God knows what He's doing. He knows things before they happen. He knows that that Ethiopian is going to be there. And He knows when and how to direct Philip. And also, listen, we're not told about the chariot driver. But he heard all this and saw all this too. Or whoever was with him. Maybe I'm confused, right? If we can't drive a car and text at the same time, it's doubtful that he could read and drive a chariot at the same time. So there's more people there. 
Well, that's the text. Listen, if God calls you when He leads you, obey Him. You may not know what's going to happen. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. You, you won't thwart God's plans for your life because you made a, quote, wrong choice. Should I be a doctor or a librarian? I just can't decide. Which one do you want to do? Is it sinful? Obviously, if it's sinful, don't do it. But if you have two good paths, do the one you want. God's working in your heart and giving you desires. To choose the one that you don't really want to do doesn't seem wise to me. Obey God. Don't be afraid to take risks. I don't, I'm not saying be foolish. But when I told my mom we were moving to Cambodia, I had a good tech job. She said, you're going to quit your job? What is wrong with you? Didn't seem wise to her. And from a worldly perspective, all missionaries that leave their country and go to other countries, it's from a worldly way of thinking, it's not wise. That's a path of risk and danger. But we know that God's ways are not the same as normal ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder about evangelism, about the providential leading of the Spirit, Father, about the way that you're saving people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And Father, we're, we're made up of a mix of a lot of nations in this body. Bless us. We thank you that you already have and that you've ministered to us and led us by the Spirit. And we pray that we would be sensitive to that and not just that we would hear the leading and know your leading, but that we would obey and that we would step out in faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.